0: All right, so you should have an outline in front of you called Eight Essential Elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel Series at the top. Element 7, P like in Peter, D like in David. Uh, the pattern of the five first steps of entering Christ's kingdom. And we are doing this simultaneously with a longer version of the Baptizing the Holy Spirit series that we're calling the 2017 version. On, under the uh, podcast Messages on Baptism, we have the shorter four-part series that we use to take people through before they get baptized in the Spirit. And uh, many of you have learned how to take people through those and, and uh, become very fruitful at that. Uh, had a nice meeting with Amber Alston this week, who was is finishing up going through those, or about halfway through those, with Amber Johnson and uh, so forth. We're, uh, and of course, uh, Deanna and I have been meeting with a new young lady at right state named macy mcgonigal and we got through what chapter two this time right yeah so uh i'd encourage you if you haven't ever gotten baptized in the spirit to have somebody take you through the shorter version plus uh, recommend to you some of the books that we have on the subject um this is a much longer diver- version. we're developing all the ideas uh quite thoroughly, and we're calling this part of Baptizing the Spirit series, uh, Section C, Imparting and Receiving the, the uh, Holy Spirit Baptism. Now, if you're familiar with the first series, that would be Chapter 4. And so what we're doing is just taking all of the subjects in Chapter 4 and teaching on them more thoroughly. The first subject in Chapter 4 was called God's Promise to Every Believer, and we, talked, we did that for two or three weeks, and then the second subject is called Five Common Obstacles to Being Baptized in the Spirit. And that's what we've been doing the last three weeks, and we'll be on it at least four or five, six more weeks, something like that. The first obstacle is, called, is, is conversion, uh, biblically complete conversions. And one thing that's been uh, becoming more and more and more common is that God will bring people to us that have grown up in evangelical churches that have prayed to receive Christ or whatever, but have never heard much of the gospel, never been taught much of the gospel, never read much of the Bible. And it's not actually appropriate to start bringing them into the baptism in the Spirit until you help them re-examine what the gospel is. And so we have tools for that, like Today's Gospel, which is one of the 12 books on our foundational book list, Today's Gospel by Walter Gentry which is probably the best book I've ever found uh, just focused on the gospel. And uh, John Stott's book, Basic Christianity, which, which covers uh, many of the foundational subjects of being a Christian. And sometimes uh, it'd be wise if you're helping someone get started in the Lord to really start there, even though they might, uh, in essence, think they're a Christian and so forth. Uh, And some of the reasons for that will actually be discussed uh, in this message later today. So that's good. Um, Now, on the uh, seven essential elements, if you look at Roman numeral one, the seventh one is called the first five steps of entering Christ's kingdom. And I've relisted them this week under Roman numeral two uh, on your outline. And I want to read this note here. It says, Understand the critical difference between today's average Christianity versus biblically normative patterns. Okay, That's very important to think of because there's so much of a tendency you often hear uh, when you're working with uh, various people, you often hear them say, well, I wasn't brought up that way. And there's nowhere you could find something in the New Testament or the Old Testament for that matter that would have any relevance to what you were brought up to to believe or think or experience. Uh, It's all about what the scriptures actually teach. And what you were brought up in America probably doesn't have that great a correlation to what the scriptures teach. So, obviously, very important to, uh, to consider what the scriptures teach, not necessarily what your upbringing taught you. So um, in that respect, the average Christian experience today is not normal. It's really uh, subnormal. It's not the pattern. It's it's subbiblical and subnormal. And so one of the ways, and there's a number of ways that is true, the gospel we've heard the ideas that like one of the ones we'll talk about today is the, the, the salvation versus lordship controversy, where there are many Christians today that have been brought up to believe you can make Jesus Savior, but it's an optional extra that whether you want to actually follow him and make him your Lord. There's no biblical justification for that kind of thinking, but that's very, very popular. In fact, that's probably the majority opinion today. So that would be just one example. Um, this Another example would be, if you look at these five steps listed under Romans 2, or uh, Roman numeral 2, not Romans 2, <laughs> Roman numeral 2, uh, most Christians in America have experienced uh, p- perhaps the first two. Uh, very few have, have actually said experienced all five of these as the, as the first things they did at the beginning of their Christian walk. And if you look in the New Testament, There's seven uh, examples of groups of people coming to the Lord in the book of Acts. And we have no other account of what the early church was like after the resurrection, ascension of Christ, and the outpouring of Pentecost, which uh, everyone looks at as the beginning of the church. And so the book of Acts gives us the first record of what Christians practiced. And it gives us seven zoom-ins, you might say, uh, uh, in, of detail of, of groups of people coming to Christ. Uh, one or two of those, such as Paul in Acts chapter 9, is just a one individual coming to Christ. But most of them are a group of people coming to Christ. And if you look at those seven examples, it's pretty clear that these five things were a pattern. Five of the seven make all of these things explicitly clear. So that's a a huge deal. Now, Roman numeral 3 on your outline, the the five most important common hindrances to to uh getting baptized in the spirit. This is uh use hopefully useful to us in a, several ways. Number 1, when I when we are praying for someone to get baptized in the spirit, we generally will pray in with a team of oh uh depending on how many pe- people the person knows in the church by then. We'll pay, pray with a team of three people to seven people or something, and especially people who have been equipped to, to be a part of that prayer team, who've been experienced at it, who walk clean with the Lord and not walking in any kind of demonic things that they might impart, or what doing you know pretty solid people. And I'll often ask uh, out of that core group uh, leadership team, who do you like the best and who do you know the best and feel comfortable around? and uh, let the person decide who they'd like to be there. And so, um, when you're praying, there will often be uh, a situation where a person maybe uh, has a little, some kind of blockage or whatever to getting a breakthrough into being baptized in the Spirit, beginning to manifest speaking in tongues in their prayer language, and uh, just being totally overwhelmed by the presence of God and that sort of thing. And when, that's, uh, when that happens, sometimes you want to stop. And uh, what I, I don't usually stop the meeting until I ask God, which of these five things is going on here? And God, by his grace, if, you know, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. God always will give you wisdom what's going on. Now, uh, what's, of course, ideal is, is that you don't have any of these five going on because you've already addressed those when you took them through the the preparation. But uh, sometimes you will uh, get those uh, addressed, and uh, sometimes, uh, uh, sometimes they will need to be addressed. The other useful thing for this is whether or not you believe in a second encounter called being baptized in the Holy Spirit, all Christians believe you receive the Holy Spirit when you're born again. And all Christians believe you should learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking through the scriptures. And even before you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you should be able to start experiencing the presence of God in worship, in in private Bible study, and other places like that and you should be able to even experience this spirit of god occasionally speaking to you while you're walking down the street some of the most important things that have ever happened to me in my life like buying this church building i was just walking these neighborhoods for exercise cuz i'm a more uh what is it i'm i'm too hor i'm too horizontal compared to vertical and uh, and uh, so i was uh, so i walk around the 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 uh neighborhood and of course the uphills are a little are beneficial and as i was walking uphill past this building there were two men in the parking lot and two cars and holy spirit spoke to me and said one of those is a realtor one of those is a church leader they're going to put this building up for sale go home and put your finances together buy this building so i went home and thought of course when you we're going to talk about that again today when you hear the holy spirit uh if it's a big thing, it's it's one thing if the Holy Spirit chose you to share with somebody on the bus or something, I would just encourage you to share with them. <laughs> uh but if it's a bigger decision, such as uh, you know, taking out a home equity loan and giving the money to the church so you could buy a building <laughs> and everything else, then you should uh seek some counsel as to whether it's the Lord. And of course, the first counsel if you're married is I went home and asked my wife, who I thought would respond like didn't you give up drugs like 30 some years ago? Or, but, but instead she responded, I think that's the Lord. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I was not expecting that response from her. And she's like, let's go for it. And I'm like, holy Lord, what are you doing? Uh, Catherine, uh, when it comes to the, like Jesus may, you know, told us to be clear about counting the cost. Catherine really knows how to count. Uh, <laughs> she's a good accountant. Uh here she'll give you a spreadsheet and everything and so uh, You know then I thought well I'll call my pastor Ray Nethery And and I thought he'd think What's wrong with you are you nuts You know because at this time we had Basically just started having some meetings In the in the basement with our four kids And my wife we had no church Members yet we hadn't even met Sydney or I, I don't know if we'd met I think we'd met Jason But uh you know, so, uh, you know, at the, by the time Bray and I got done seeking the Lord about it and talking and discussing, he was like, he's like, well, I'm a go-for-it kind of guy. Just go for it. Anyway, so uh, that has to do with spirit guidance and so forth. But uh, as a Christian, you should have that kind of thing happening in your life. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And the way he speaks is by the Holy Spirit. Again, if it's something small, like I want you to read your Bible more, then, uh, which isn't that small, I guess, but then, then uh, I don't think you need a whole lot of calling 30 friends for counsel. The bigger the decision, the more people I call for counsel. You know, when the recession hit in 2008, I literally spoke in the first two or three months of the recession to about 100 Christian business friends, Around the country, to think how are we going to save this church building and save our family's house and in our business and not go under and go bankrupt. And God gave us a plan, and we never were even late on a payment. But a lot of the things that the Lord helped us with came from discussions with other Christians. All right, so back to uh, the message here um, on these five hindrances, they are also hindrances that will whether you're baptized in the Spirit or not, they'll keep you from knowing the presence of the Holy Spirit. Many people get baptized in the Spirit, get a prayer language, and do not go on to stay intimate at all seasons of their Christian life with Christ. In fact, I would say it's somewhat rare for people to always be in a good intimate season with Christ. But God's ideal for you is to always call you back to himself and to always uh, stir your spirit up with love and passion for him. And that will often start with God helping you, like the psalmist said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. And he says, and forget not any of his benefits. We love because he first loved us. Often the Lord will remind you of, of the gospel and of all the things he's done for you. And when you begin to realize the depth of our own sin and depravity, in the greatness of his grace when you start to really encounter that you it will break you it will it will soften you it will cause you to be humble and and overflowing with joy and gratitude and and so forth all right so um la- the last couple weeks we've been talking about incomplete conversions flip over uh Note one, when you receive Christ, you should be born again, your spirit should be quickened, and you should be converted, which includes words like conviction of sin, confession of sin, repentance, renunciation, a turning away from a self-determined lifestyle into seeking God and clarity with him and his church and his spirit and so forth. Uh, Number two, uh, sometimes... It's difficult to understand where conversion stops and sanctification and maturation start, partly because almost all steps in growing in Christ and being sanctified really get down to being converted more completely (laughs) your whole life. So to know sort of where one starts and the other stops gets to be a little difficult at times. Just want to remind us that we covered that. Now... Today on these 12 results, I want to remind us that in the last two weeks, we've actually covered numbers 1 through 6 in not quite the order they're listed there. Uh, Two weeks ago, we covered number 2 through 5, I believe. Let's see, yeah. And uh, last week, we covered 1 and 5. And I I I think two weeks ago, we did some of 6. So I'm not going to review the first 6 unless I get through the last 6, uh, then I'd like uh, if time I'd like to review them, but they are on the podcast. They are something you should think about. Remember that Jesus addressed many times the idea of false and true conversion. Many of his parables do the God the epistles also do that, and it's been a theme of Christian writing from Athanasius to Augustine to John Chrysostom, all the way through uh, lots of the Puritan writings are about what true and false conversion. And then some of the uh, revivalist kinds of modes that started the altar call decision thing like Charles Finney and so forth. Charles Finney has an excellent book on true and false conversion. A couple of you have read it. So um, keep that in mind. That, that, you know, there, there wouldn't be so much focus on it scripturally and in church history if it wasn't a necessary subject. I think it's really important to go back and kick the tires and say, where am I at with receiving Christ? Have I really made him Lord? Am I really walking with him deeply? And so forth. All right, so... The Savior versus Lordship debate, I listed in, in Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem there, where you can read about that a little bit on his book, but it's the idea that it has become quite prevalent that you can ask Jesus to be your Savior, and then you might want to go on, sometimes it will be expressed, you might want to go on to the optional extra of being making him Lord, or it'll sometimes be expressed that you might want to go on to the optional extra of becoming a disciple. There is no scriptural warrant for that. Uh, One of our foundational articles by Dallas Willard called uh, Discipleship for Super-Christians Only, question mark, uh, which is chapter one of his book, uh, The Great Omission, Reclaiming Jesus' Essential Teaching on Discipleship. That's the point of the whole book, is that there really is no biblical... Message that you, you're either a disciple or you're not a Christian. And if, you're, and if you study what discipleship is in the Bible and that doesn't characterize your Christian life, then you need to go back to a biblically complete conversion and re examine the gospel. So please be very clear on that. There is no uh, Christianity apart from discipleship. In fact, there, the word Christian was invented after the word disciple. Remember, in the book of Acts chapter 10, is it? The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. That would be chapter 12, right? 13, whatever. 12 or 13, that's where it deals with Antioch. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. In other words, up till that point, there wasn't, they weren't even called Christians yet, followers of Christ. They just, everyone thought of them, oh, those are Jesus' disciples. These are the disciple people, (laughs) you know. And uh, so, why that's so important is simply this. The essence of salvation is you were infected by a thing called sin. You were born with it. It came from our primeval parents, Adam and Eve. And ultimately, it's the desire to be God yourself, to determine for yourself good from evil, to live by the creed, I don't see it that way, or this is the way I am, or, you know, to be self-determining. To be saved is to be saved from that, because that is what's destroying you. You know, perhaps the gospel should come with a big warning Uh, uh, uh. This is a message from God. I don't care about your opinion. (laughs) I I don't care what you think. (laughs) Well, you need to care what I think. (laughs) And that's the truth. Now, that's not to say that when we love people and care about them and so forth, we don't care what they feel or think. But ultimately, what we're trying to help them is to get delivered from living by what you think or what you feel or what you're determining for yourself. That's what's destroying you. God wants to set you free from a self-centered existence uh, and that you would live out of the power of his resurrection and be able with Jesus to say, I always do that which is pleasing to the Father. That's, you know... Uh, I've been a little bit more surprised in my 43 years of Chris, being a Christian that I haven't had more smart-aleck, college-age Christian students when I say, so what have you been doing lately? I, that I haven't had more people go, did you not know that I needed to be about my father's business? <laughs> I don't, you don't get that very often, but it's like, you, I, I'm always thinking you ought to get that line once in a while when you say, like, so what you been doing lately? Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Now we will get it more often, right? (laughs) And then we'll get a chuckle and say, okay, so. That's a real knee slapper. Okay. Um, Let's move on to the next thing lacking repentance. Um, Matthew 3 6 through 10 includes uh, John the Baptist's warning. To the Pharisees and Sanhedrin and, 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 the, and Sadducees as well that were coming to him to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And then he goes on to say the axe is laid at the root. The word radical means root. And repentance gets down to the foundation of what direction you're going and who's in charge. What is the motivations and attitudes for what I'm, why I'm living? If you haven't had a fundamental change in, in self-determination and, you know, you know, like anger management, you know, anger management is one of the great signs that you're still in charge. It's one of the ultimate pride things. Because anger is always about... You, God, God caused circumstances and people to cross your will. And you're not happy about it. Because you want what you want when you want it how you want it. <laughs> and uh, it's, according to the Bible, the ultimate bondage. You can't be more trapped in a little world than that. So, repentance... Um, it, I think I listed there somewhere, I lost my train of thought, where's the notes, what number is that one? No, no, uh, lack of repentance, okay, so I, shouldn't, I don't know why I went back up there. Maybe the Lord wanted me to, I, I should have been moving down to seven. Um, but uh, I think I listed there that 8EE is, uh, is code for uh, the eight essential elements of the gospel, uh, elements six, letters G through J, are all about confession and repentance. And there's uh, another, uh, did we do that as a bio, an insert the uh, one teaching on repentance in the bulletin, Deanna, in the last couple weeks? Did we do a bulletin insert on repentance in the last couple weeks? Let's make sure we there's one, there's a biblical vocabulary series I taught, uh. I don't know, 10 summers ago or something that, it, that summarizes this pretty quickly. But it has eight statements about what repentance is. And the eighth is really important it, because it's not just a turning away from, but it's a turning toward the pursuit of loving God, knowing God. And Jesus defines loving God as doing his commandments. In John 14 and 15, three times, He said, the one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Every day you can measure your your real love for the Lord, not in how passionate you sound when you're lifting your hands and singing songs, but whether you obey him, especially when you're alone. That's how you know how much you you love him. Every married couple knows that when you tell your wife you love her, that eventually she's going to say, if you love me, please don't forget that Wednesdays are trash night <laughs> or whatever. You know, I'm just kidding. Uh, or get a job, will you, Max? <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, quit being so irresponsible with the finances. Overcome that ma- anger management issue that's hurting our marriage. Whatever, whatever. If you love me, keep my commandments. <laughs> Thankfully, I don't have a wife with m- very many commandments. All right. So, uh, all right. So I did. Uh, I maybe the Lord wanted us to get back into that repentance things. So who knows? Uh, number seven: Decision versus discipleship models. Uh, hopefully, we've talked a lot about that. But again, in the 1800s, it had to do. Uh, it was an outgrowth of a debate in theology called the Calvinist versus Arminian debate. But the Arminian de- side of the equation puts a lot of emphasis on man's choice rather than God's sovereignty and God's election and His God's choice. But out of that came the altar call revival approach to evangelism that developed in the 1800s. And with that, gradually came the approach of making a decision for Christ, and that's it. And gra- you know, There's a lot of factors that have gone into this. We've talked a lot about this, but there's been an increasing tendency to, uh, to have a reductionist gospel, that is to reduce the message. Gradually, it's become all about spiritual and not about all of life. So it's become more and more what, what's called pietistic and more and more dualistic and so forth. It's, it's uh, gradually left the law of God in order to be what's called antinomian. There's a lot of ways the gospel message has been reduced. But one of them is to say, basically, it's about praying the sinner's prayer and then giving the person assurance for the rest of their life that no matter what the heck you do, you, you prayed that sinner's prayer, you can't lose your salvation. The reason there's so much need to, to have the doctrine of eternal security, which is different than the perseverance of the saints, the, the, more, the reason it's so important to constantly be assuring people, it, you won't need to assure people who are really converted because Romans 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit bears witness that we're children of God. When you're really converted, you won't need assurance. You'll know that you know that you know that you're converted. Now, of course, God will always persevere in those He's calling, in those He's electing in those He's drawing to himself, in those He's granting con- conviction and confession and repentance. He will always keep causing them to turn back to Christ. But one, one of the things that the church has become guilty of is putting assurance on people who haven't actually been converted. And that is a tragedy of tragedies because the church is supposed to be the pillar and support of the truth, not the purveyors of deception. And so, um, one of the things that you're, you'll need to be clear about is You will be a disciple if you've really received Christ. Now, part of how that looks, don't confuse that with that you'll be immediately sanctified and you won't struggle with sin and you won't ever mess up or fall. That's not true. Right? Anybody been entirely sanctified just since they received Christ and never never fallen again? Just Teresa. But, uh, (laughs) no. Uh, So, uh, You know, but what it will do is right from the beginning, you'll have a passionate change of heart that cries out, Lord, I want to please you. Lord, I want to do your will. And you will actually begin to actively take steps like go to church, read your Bible, pray and repent, ask, cry out for grace. And you will see some fruit right away and other fruit in due time. <laughs> so don't I am not saying that you'll be entirely sanctified, but I am saying is there will be a fundamental change in the core of your being and your motivations for why you're living. And you'll know, and sometimes it will amaze you. You know, I always tell the story of the time I was reading my Bible and uh, I was wrestling with quitting drugs and a few other things. And and I remember turning off the lamp and sliding down under the covers and going, Lord, I just want to do what's right. I just want to please you. And then I thought, I can't believe that came out of my heart. I sat up and turned the light back on because I was like, what? <laughs> like, I, that had never been on my agenda before. <laughs> I I never had that uh, as a motivation of my heart before, and I was quite surprised by it. It was like, what's going on here? <laughs> Where would the real Greg please stand up? Somebody somebody is taking over here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what happened to Greg? Um, and hopefully you have similar experiences in your in your repertoire. All right. Uh, that was, what, number seven. Discipleship uh, is not an op- optional extra. It's from the beginning. And we have to get rid of the decision model. It's not biblical, and it's causing a lot of people a lot of hurt. Eighth, lacking obedience. Now... Um, this is two things. Uh, I have here listed Romans 1, 4 through 6, and Romans 15, 18 through 19. And in both cases, Paul uses the phrase, the obedience of the faith. And we've already made mention of the three times in John 14 and 15 that Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, I would have to say, before I was a Christian... Obeying anybody was not particularly uh, something that I ever did, (laughs) you know, Uh, not about homework, drugs, chores, anything. Uh, That wasn't even a category that I would even have thought of, (laughs) you know. Um, Now, obedience has to be in two respects. First and foremost, according to Scripture. And you've got to know what it says to do that. But God will never lead you to do something the scriptures don't say. I was just, uh, I uh, taught the Bible survey classes at Dominion Academy Thursday. And um, I cannot remember if I was with uh, Michelle Caldwell, Deaconess Caldwell, or with Sandy McNamara, but we were talking and we were laughing about, oh yeah, it was with Sandy. We were laughing about an experience that we both had. Where a lady came forward for prayer, and uh, she said, "You know, I want prayer because I feel like God wants me to marry this guy." And da, da, da. and so I said, "Well, okay, give me a little more." And is there some? Is there a problem? Does he want? You know, she goes, "Oh yeah, there's a real problem. I'm married to this other guy already." <laughs> I'm like, yeah, "Wait a minute!" But the Holy Spirit was showing her <laughs> that she was supposed to marry this other guy. I'm like, holy Lord, what are you? Are you on drugs? No, that's from my cousin Vinny. Um, so, uh, of course, obedience has to be according to Scripture. Now, there are times, though, like we shared already, the story of you know buying this church building. There's no Scripture for that. So, there are times when the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Again, if it's something very biblical and the, the risk factor, you know, like if you uh, feel like you should share the gospel with somebody in the cafeteria at Wright state or something, and it was really just your idea, it wasn't the Lord's, and it turns out it was just because you had too much pepperoni in your pizza and it was a little indigestion or something, <laughs> no one's going to get hurt. He's going to hear the gospel. And Paul even talked about the false gospel purveyors of his days, as at least Christ is proclaimed. Okay, but if you're gonna, you know, change career directions, make, make big decisions, you ought to you ought to ask wiser Christians what, you know, should I be courting this person? Should I be uh, taking this career change or studying this uh, academic discipline or whatever? Uh, and, and as best as you can, work back to, is it scriptural? All right, la- next thing, lacking ecclesiology. Um, many people say today that the essence of evangelical Christianity is no doctrine of the church. The church is something that we use, not something we join and partner with to be, to be missional together. To, to as a necessary ingredient in our being called to follow Jesus and fish for men. But we fish for men as a church. And if anything, modern Protestant Christianity is very light on its doctrine of the church. Very. Extremely so. Everything from how important the Lord's Day is and what should happen on the Lord's Day, to community to discipleship within the church and so forth. For the most part, the groups that disciple today are parachurch groups. And most of the discipleship is is intellectual discipleship or conceptual, informational, but not formational and impartational. That can only happen in community. You know, when Paul talks about impartational discipleship with with timothy and he says timothy you've known my and he lists all the things you know my faith my practice my teaching my he even goes on to say you've known my purpose in other words timothy you've actually we were you're so much he calls him my true son or my true child in both first and second timothy and he goes on to tell him that you've known all these things and he's actually saying timothy You've absorbed my purpose. My purpose that was given to me by Christ has become your purpose that was given to you by Christ. Now that's proper ecclesiology. Many people say, if you study the doctrines of Paul and St. Augustine and his writings from the 5th century, that the Reformation was the lifting up of their views of salvation and soteriology while throwing out Paul's and and Augustine's views of the church. And we need to have both. And I'm not talking about uh, certain errors about the church that were existent before the Reformation, or restoring any of them. And I don't have time to go into any of that, but uh, hopefully we're clear about it. Next is lacking power. Acts one tells us we'll receive power to be his witnesses. So much of Christianity today is trying to do missional Christianity without power. We need to have encounters where lives are changed, demons are cast out, uh, p- amazing things happen. <coughs> And uh, sometimes I'll just sit and tell people testimonies of, of power encounters I've seen. Uh, the last verse of this 1 Timothy 3, 1-5 that I have lift, listed there says that men hold to a form of godliness although they denied its power. And it actually goes so far as to say avoid those type of people. I actually think that a great deal of the Western church today, if we were actually going to be scriptural, needs to be avoided. Because uh, of the whole concept of expectations. You know, Matthew 13, 57 through 58 says that Jesus was not able to do many miracles in his hometown because of their unbelief. We often don't see many miracles. I often ask Christians, how many times have you seen a demon cast out? How many times have you seen someone have an encounter with God where the next day it was very clear they were a completely different person. We have lots of people in our church that have that sort of testimony. In in some cases, I got the privilege of being there. Um, A a gospel without power is not the gospel. A gospel without demons freaking out and saying, you know, I know who you are, (laughs) is not the gospel. It's just theories on a page. There should be things like, uh, you know, I remember one, one guy after he got baptized in the Spirit saying, this is the first time in my entire life I've ever experienced peace. Ever. That should be your portion every day. Uh, next, because we're running out of time, lacking deliverance, and I, I want to move on to the next ones next week. Um, now, I'm not just talking about deliverance from demons, but it includes there. The Greek word soteria means healing, deliverance. It's not just salvation in some abstract sinner's prayer sense. It's salvation that you can say, wow, salvation has come to this person. They're completely different. They used to be uh, lazy. Now they're not lazy. They used to not uh, spend much time in spiritual discipline seeking the Lord. Now they're on fire for God. Whatever. There needs to be, uh, there needs to be deliverance. There needs to be ways of saying, uh, boy, the so-and-so that used to live there doesn't live there anymore. That's really what baptism means. You were buried with him in the waters of baptism. When your old life wants to come back, you should remind it. I, I don't live here anymore. And um, 2 Corinthians 6, 1-3 talks about the day of salvation, but the Greek is actually the day of deliverance. There were addictions, but now they're not. There were fears, but there's not. There were, I was shy and timid, but now I'm not. People don't believe this about me, but I was a very shy and timid person before I came to Christ. I could not stand up and give a speech in front of three or four people. When I was in wrestling in high school, at the beginning of the match, you shake hands. And in my heart, I was always saying, what did I ever do to you? Couldn't we just talk this over? (laughs) I was a coward. I lived for the fear of man. And then God called me to to a a vocational path and a Christian walk where what I do is help people see things they don't want to see. You can't do that if you fear man. You can't actually love people and fear man at the same time. If your experience with the gospel lacks power, if you can't say, these are the powerful encounters I had with God that really changed me. And there should be, you know, we talked uh, last week about a time when I was just overwhelmed with God's forgiveness and was weeping and so forth. You should have many such experiences in your life. Hopefully you won't do what I do after the RCF meeting sometimes and bore people with stories of... Casting out demons in the lobby of, uh, <laughs> in the lobby of uh, Offenhauer Tower, to so a guy who was doing LSD, and all that stuff. Uh, that one you should hear. But, um, all right. Lastly, lacking one or more steps in the pattern of the five steps, which we've listed on Roman numeral two on the front page. Have all five of those things happen to you. Where did you receive Christ, get water baptized, get baptized in the Holy Spirit, delivered from demons, healed emotionally, mentally, physically and did you enter a New Testament way of life which included daily spiritual disciplines and sharing your life in Christian community. If not, I would ask you to receive Jesus more completely. Make him your Lord. Ask him to come in. He's in Revelation 3.20, when he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, he's talking to the Laodiceans, Christians. And he tells these Christians, If anyone hears my voice, which they hadn't yet, and bids me to come in, I'll come in to him. Now, the reason he talks about their being poor, wretched, naked, and so forth, and that, that he encouraged them to buy eye salve for their eyes, is Laodicea had a factory there that made this eye powder that you would add water to and turn into salve that was legendary throughout the Roman Empire. And they were proud about how well they could see and how much they healed the other people's eyes. And he told them, you're blind. They had one of the greatest clothing factories in the Roman Empire there. They were known for their splendiferous clothes. And he says, you are poor, blind, wretched, and naked. And he said, I'm knocking at your door, Christians. If you'll let me come in, I'll come in to you and dine with you. And that would be my invitation today. Reexamine the complete conversion and make sure you have asked him to come in And that he's driving. Amen.